As we turn our eyes upon Jesus, there is, we find peace in His wonderful face. We find joy and contentment. Well, tonight uh, we are continuing in the book of Revelation. I want to invite you to turn there. Uh, if uh, you didn't get one but you'd like one, uh, we have some handouts that have some of the notes on them. I, it's not what I have, but it is uh, some copies of the notes. So if you'd like to have a copy of that, Josiah has a copy. And uh, we made some more. Thank you, Brenda. Brenda passed out all we have. And so raise them up high so he can see you. And she'll, he'll make sure there's about 20 or so more copies. So if you'd like to have a copy, there should be one for you. So Revelation chapter 1 is where we're going to be. But before, as you're going there, turn backwards a couple of pages in your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Remember, this year we're challenging one another, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the counsel of his, uh, countenance of his friend. We're trying to uh, memorize together Ephesians 6. We were on our trip back to Texas uh, Monday, and I am working on Ephesians 6 in the car, and about everybody else in the car has it memorized but me. And so they're back there whispering it in my ear. I said, would y'all stop it? It's my turn to learn it. And so I've been working on it, trying to memorize it, and I am almost there. I'm glad to say when you have 16, uh, 17 hours behind the wheel and an open Bible in front of you, you can memorize a lot of Scripture. I wouldn't recommend that in Dallas, Texas, but you know, you can pick and choose where you do that. Teenagers, do not try this at home. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to look at the first three verses. If, do you have it? those th first three memorized? Amen. I was talking to one of our members the other day. He said, yeah, I've got this down, Pastor. He says, just a slightly abbreviated. Children, obey your parents. Amen. I said, I like that. That's good. All right, so looks look there, Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Remember, we're just memorizing this, trying to work through this together. And let's read this together aloud. Ready and begin. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's look at Revelation. I'm going to encourage you to memorize it. I've been uh, encouraged by so many that have already uh, been able to memorize Ephesians 6. And, uh, and so I know that it has been a challenge, uh, but uh, it is a good challenge that we can undertake. Well, tonight we're still in the opening verses of Revelation. About two weeks ago, we began the study of Revelation with verses 1 through 3. We're going to read that again here in just a moment, and all the way through verse number 8. We're not going to dwell with 1 through 3 again, except for just to highlight very quickly. But as we go through this, we're just doing a verse by verse. And, and we'll see again how that uh, Revelation is divided. And in the notes tonight, I provided a, a kind of an uh, a, uh, outline uh, that I found in my studies this week uh, from Warren Wiersbe. And I just wanted to provide that for you, kind of see a bird's eye view of the book of Revelation and how it's laid out. And so let's look there in Revelation chapter 1. We'll read verses 1 through 8 uh, in, uh, there tonight. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And, and I've taken that, that uh, saying right there for our theme for this study, the time is at hand. And I just look around me and I can't help but be reminded that truly we live in an era and a time where this is very poignant to be able to study this portion of Scripture. Verse number four, continue with me. 
John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these glorious words of Scripture, how they encourage our hearts tonight to be able to know that we serve the risen Savior, not one who's dead in a tomb somewhere. We don't travel to see his remains because he is with you and in your presence even now. He is the Almighty, the everlasting, and we praise him tonight. And Lord, as we endeavor to see the, uh, the Christ that John saw through these words, I pray that you would open our hearts and ears and in the word of God, that it may pierce even to the dividing of sunder of soul and spirit, to the joints and marrow and the intents of the heart. May it reveal those things tonight. So thank you for your word. Thank you for the reading of it. And may we just continually have a hunger and a passion for your word. In Christ's name, amen. Tonight, as we look at this, sometimes people ask the question, why do we study the book of Revelation? And I want to just give you several reasons very quickly. First off, Satan hates the book of Revelation. You know why? It foretells his destruction. Isn't that awesome? You can read the back of the book and you can find out we win. Even more importantly, Jesus wins every single time. He may have died on the cross of Calvary, but it wasn't a time of destruction. It was a time where he was giving us life. And so I just love the book of Revelation. Uh, it, it Really, it applies to our day. Uh, we can find a source of uh, encouragement. And that's the whole reason that John wrote Revelation was so that he could encourage those believers who were uh, being persecuted greatly in his day and what a joy it is to read it in our day. We also read in verse number 3 that God blesses those who study it. In verse 3, blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy. It's the only book of the Bible that has that written in it. I just find that amazing uh, that so many times we avoid revelation. Well, it's too con uh, uh, complicated. I can't understand it. But yet it's the only book of the Bible where God said, Blessed is he that readeth and studieth. So may we apply ourselves to know it. We need to hear it. We, need, we are commanded to preach the whole counsel of God, and revelation is part of it. So why study? Because God wants us to. Uh, it's a wonderful time to do it as well as we just uh, see so many things being unveiled around us. Matter of fact, the name Revelation, by way of reminder here, means an unveiling. And so God reveals to us that even in the purpose, uh, even in the name of the book, the purpose of the book is to open our eyes to His purpose, to His person, Jesus Christ, and the plans of His Son, Jesus Christ, and when He should return. And so we can understand the book, and we can learn much from it tonight. Uh, and, and as we get into the book of Revelation, I know that there's going to be a lot of questions that come up, and, and, and as we go through it, my, my heart's desire is not to make things complicated, but to make things as simple as we can. And so uh, as we go through the book of Revelation, my heart's desire is that God will give us a fervent uh, expectation for Christ's soon return, but also that he would make us, uh, make us encouraged in the Lord even now. 
And, and so there's nothing greater than being able to just sing the great songs like we sang tonight. To be reminded that all is well in the midst of everything that's going on. Great song tonight. I just love that so much. I was sitting there thinking, I've got to find that on iTunes and, and purchase that. It's a blessing. I don't think that was the first time you sang it, but it spoke to my heart. Thank you for that tonight. But as we begin this study, just I want to give you a rudimentary outline. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 19. He kind of lays out some things for us here. In Revelation 1, we see, uh, write these things, uh, the, excuse me, write the things which thou hast seen. That's Revelation chapter 1. And the things which are, Revelation 2 and 3, as he deals with the church age. And then Revelation 4 through 22, and the things which shall be hereafter. And so the scripture uh, gives us this basic outline here. Warren Wearsby, I, I shared this with you, has a few more details in that as we deal with the rapture of the church in uh, chapters 4 and 5, where John is caught up, the Lamb takes his throne, and the tribulation of seven years in chapters 6 through 19. The first half, the middle, and the last half of the tribulation, as recorded there in those chapters. The millennial kingdom of Christ in chapter 20, the new heavens and earth in chapter 21 and 22. And oftentimes when we think about heaven, what we think about is that new heaven and new earth that he talks about in Revelation 21, uh, where there'll be no more tears, nor crying, nor sorrow, nor sickness, nor uh, death. And we look forward to that day uh, with great anticipation, especially uh, as we say goodbye to loved ones. But as the Apostle John begins to share what he's heard, we see then that God is reminding him of the primary subject of Revelation and the principal figure throughout all of Revelation is the same person who God has spotlighted throughout the Bible and that's his son, Jesus Christ. We find Christ is the central figure. And it was a reminder that Christ, that uh, right here at the beginning, uh, God was reminding uh, John that the Christ you'd known previously is the Christ you need to be reminded of today. And so today as we look at this message, what we're really looking at is the Christ that John had known. Remember, the time span between Christ's ascension and John actually recording the words of Revelation is somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 years. And so in that time span that had passed, it would be easy to forget some of the little nuances. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit of God who brought all things to remembrance as the Bible teaches us, uh, he would have forgotten much. And so he goes back and he remembers here in chapter 1 about Jesus. And let me just say, I, I love to talk about Jesus. I'm excited about talking about him tonight. And that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, uh, really is poignant for tonight as we think about the fact that Jesus is principal in everything we're going to learn in Revelation uh, because it's all about him. He's the one that is worthy uh, that, uh, to open the seals of the book. He's the one that is worshipped. He's the one that will be coming again. He is the one that will rule and reign for a thousand years. I'm telling you, it's all about Jesus Christ. And so we want to lift him up tonight. And so that's what, what we're going to deal with here in these verses 4 through 8 tonight in our text, is that Jesus is that principal figure in all of this. And, and he says, remember Christ. John had seen the early church go through some intense suffering from persecution under Nero with the Roman government to persecution from the Jewish leaders were several in the church. We think of Stephen, who was stoned to death, uh, and in many, many others, uh, like Paul, who had been stoned and, and imprisoned, and finally was martyred. Peter, who was martyred. Many, many others who were martyred for their faith. And here is John, as an old man, exiled to the Isle of Patmos because of the message that he preached, the message that he believed, the message that he proclaimed, and he wouldn't give up. Amen? 
And he continued, and here he was on the Isle of Patmos, and God gives him this glorious vision, this revelation, this unveiling, if you will, of something that God's going to do. And he did that because the church was in such a time of, of persecution like it never seen before, and they needed to know, listen, God's not done yet. And let me just remind you, church, God's not done yet. And our God is still at work today. Our God is still on the throne. And, and though we may see things that sometimes we look at and we scratch our head and we say, man, I don't understand exactly what's happening. I don't know why in the world we see the atrocities that we see going on around us. But I know this, that my God has a plan. I can still trust that God is in control and he's still on the throne today. And so that's where I rest my faith today. Those early Christians needed to know this. They'd seen these atrocities. They'd seen their own family members drug out of their home and beaten and stoned before their children. They'd witnessed these with their own eyes. And so God inspired John, who was currently exiled to Patmos, to, uh, who was for preaching the gospel, to write these words that he had been given as a source of encouragement. We need that today. Did you know that persecution in the globe for Christians is on the rise all around the world today, we hear more and more accounts. As a matter of fact, a secular newspaper, I was reading an article that they had put out, not in print, mind you, but in digital form, and they were talking about the rise in persecution of Christians. This is a secular, uh, secular news organization. Listen, if they're recognizing it, surely we, we should be able to recognize it as well. So we need this today. We need to be reminded of this. And so in verse number 4, God begins this with a great source of encouragement. Look here as he writes, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Now we're not going to deal with that phrase right now. When we get to Revelation 2 and 3, we'll deal with the seven churches in Asia. So I'm not going to linger on that tonight. But he says this, Grace be unto you in peace. Grace and peace from him which is and which was, and which is to come. Isn't that a wonderful message? Think about the, 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 the context of which he's writing, of all that the church is going through, of, the, of what the, revel, the remainder of Revelation is going to deal with, the times of persecution, where God's wrath will be poured out, all of these things. And even at the beginning of John's gospel, we see that he wants to lift up Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we have here in the beginning of Revelation, John had this earnest desire to be able to lift up the name of Jesus. And he mentions a couple of things for us. First off, he mentions Christ's eternality. He says here, he says, which was and it's, it, which is and which is to come. He mentions his eternality. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But this theme is seen in other places as well. Verse 8 as well. I am Alpha Omega, the beginning and the ending. Uh, Thus uh, saith the Lord, which is and which was, which is to come, the Almighty. And so he knows that this truth, as well as that coupled with re maybe Revelation 111, saying I am Alpha Omega, the first and the last. This is a crucial doctrine that must be laid out before we can ever uh, have the confidence that what he says later will be worthy for us to, uh, to count in our life. Matter of fact... In order for Christ to be worthy to open the seals in Revelation 5.5, He must first be the Alpha and the Omega. He must be all God. He must be worthy of that. Revelation 5.5 says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. They were looking for someone to loose these seals. And we'll get to this later. But, and in Revelation, he says, Listen, we found him. His name is Jesus Christ. Church, that's a hallelujah moment. 
I'm telling you, that's an exciting moment. And when I could just imagine the sorrow that surrounded us. They said, who is worthy to open the seals? And finally, they speak up and said, we know the man. His name's Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, church, that's exciting. And this is the God that we begin with here in this principal foundational doctrine here that Jesus is God and allows us to be able to look at the Scriptures and say, listen, what He says throughout the Word of God is worthy of our study, is worthy of our application of our life, is worthy to give our life and lay our life down because Jesus is still God today. You see, this morning we were reminded in John 15, Jesus said, I am the true vine. He's the all-sufficient one, and He can't be all-sufficient unless He is God in the flesh. Unless He's the one who came down to, uh, to man. What a glorious truth that we can hold dear, that Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is worthy of our praise. So this truth is a foundation for this, this other thing that John begins with. And he says this, grace be unto you and peace. Grace and peace. Isn't it interesting that he starts with these two things? Considering the fact that much of the book of Revelation deals with God's judgment and God's wrath being poured out, it's interesting that he would then begin with these words, grace and peace be unto you. It's like as if the later we'll read that the flood tides of his wrath that have been dammed up for centuries since Calvary will finally burst its banks and be poured forth into this world in all of their fury. Yet God begins revelation by telling men that they don't have to, they don't have to experience those things. Instead, what they can have is grace. Man, this world needs to know the grace of God. Grace, grace, God's grace. There's nothing like the grace of God. John Newton wrote about that as he wrote Amazing Grace, who was a slave trader, and yet God changed his life, and his life, uh, as a result, was gloriously changed from a slave trader to one who preached the message of Jesus who set those uh, in captivity free. John would see a multitude that no man could number later in Revelation. Men and women, the Bible says, who had washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb, and it, we're reminded that the grace of God is being poured out throughout this book of Revelation. But he also mentions this word peace. Peace, uh, it, where, uh, it's interesting to my, in my mind that he would use the word peace because throughout Revelation we see the opposite of peace would reign. As the Antichrist comes to power, we'll see it's a book that's, that is filled with bloodshed and war. It rings with the din and the noise of strife. It tells of carnage and tells of conflict. It tells of earthquakes and famines and pestilences and woes. It tells of purges and persecutions. And, it, and, and all these things, uh, we see that there is the peace of God that is made available. This book tells of the crash of an empire, of anarchy, of oppression, of terror and despair. It tells of war in heaven and a war on earth. It tells of an incarnate beast driven and indwelt by Satan. It tells of wrecking uh, the, the fearful vengeance on the saints of the Most High. It tells about the, uh, the stars falling from heaven, plagues that issue up from the abyss, demons that take control of human affairs, armies that are, car- uh, that are just led by millions of men. And yet God begins this, word, this book with this one word peace. When news that Britain had entered the Second World War, it was about 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning that it broke loose. And the announcement was made on the radio, and in one particular church, a man arrived to church just after hearing it on the radio. He burst in the back doors, and he said, we're at war. And the congregation got deathly quiet. 
And in that hushed silence, there was a man who stood up and he began to sing. I don't know how this hymn goes, but he began to sing this hymn. Peace, perfect peace in this dark world of sin. The blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, peace uh, with sorrows surging round. On Jesus' bosom not, but peace is found. Peace, perfect peace with loved ones far away. And Jesus keeping, we are safe. And are they peace, perfect peace, the future all unknown, Jesus we know, and he is on the throne. Peace, perfect peace, death shadowing us and ours, Jesus has conquered death and all its powers. It is enough, earth's struggles soon shall cease, and Jesus uh, uh, led to heaven's perfect peace. You see, what a great moment. When this church, this church was in shock that this man would be reminded that God gives peace. And it's a similar purpose that God begins through the, uh, this, this very book that is filled with war with this word peace. Grace and peace will win through at last. And we see that at the end. As a matter of fact, if you go to the end of the book, the storm clouds roll away. We see the drum of wars are going to cease. The earth itself will be purged by fire. And there emerges a brand new heaven and a new earth in which dwell righteousness and grace and peace. And so we look upward to Christ so that we can know the peace that passes all understanding because it, matters, it doesn't matter what go, is going on around us because when Christ's presence is with us, His presence can bring peace that rises above the storm. So let's look at the very couple of things here in the Scripture. And we see in verses 5 and 6 the unveiling of His person. One, verse number 5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Between verse 4 and verse 5, we see that this, uh, John really begins to teach us about who Jesus is. And he's reminded, even through the power of the Holy Spirit, all that Jesus was when he walked here on this earth. And so we see that God transcends all time. Aren't you thankful for that? He lives in the present, the past, the future. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He sees the beginning from the end. And so what happens is never a mystery to him. Some years ago, there was an itinerant preacher who uh, was accosted in an English country lane and by a gypsy. And she said, Sir, if you will allow a little piece of gold to pass through my hand, then I will tell you what the future holds. Well, the preacher looked at the woman and asked her, just for clarification, said, So you wouldn't mean to tell me that if I give you money, that you can tell me what's going to happen tomorrow or even a year from now. She says, that's what I'm telling you. Just a little bit of, little bit of gold and I'll be able to tell you all that you'll be able to, to, uh, to all that will happen tomorrow or even a year from now. Well, after a second, the preacher thought and then he said, well, I'll tell you what. If you can tell me what I did yesterday, then you, we got a deal. Obviously, she couldn't tell him what happened yesterday or tomorrow or the next day. You see, Satan doesn't know what's on the morrow, but God does. And as we look at this, and we begin Revelation, uh, sometimes the scoffers are going to scoff, and they're going to look at the, the book of Revelation and say, Puh, that can never happen. These things could never come to, uh, come to fruition. And yet, as we look around us in the last two years, it's obvious uh, to me and even to many in the lost world how, uh, that this is the time that God has for this to be, uh, to be read and understood and studied. And so we see here the threefold ministry of Jesus that John begins to work through here. 
First off, we see here in verse number 5, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. You see, Jesus Christ came to be a witness to a dark and degenerated world. Think about all that he was. His witness was both uh, was, was unprecedented, but it was also unpopular. Nobody wanted to, uh, his witness, and so they crucified him. His, he, his name alone witnesses to uh, who God is. He is, uh, he is the Savior. He is, uh, uh, and, and so uh, just as a reminder, in Old Testament times, God often uh, would reveal part of his character through many of his varied names, many of which uh, unfolded an aspect of his character and his person. And so Jesus taught a new name for God, and in his name we learn that God is lovely, he's intimate, he's heartwarming. Uh, we know, know more about the Father because of Jesus. Jesus even said in John, it's, it's, listen, if you'd have known me, you'd have known the Father. And so we begin to see this ministry of Jesus was to really to open our eyes to all the truth that God has for us. And so he, we, he has a prophetic ministry in, verse, in uh, Psalm chapter 32 and verse number 5. We see the Old Testament, there, begins, uh, it, there are 15 words in the Old Testament that depict uh, uh, the various aspects of sin. In Psalms 32 and verse 5, he uses three of those. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. So we have sin, iniquity, and transgressions. And it says, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. You see, when Jesus came, he came uh, with a desire to reveal the, uh, the ugliness of sin. And really, when he came, his coming, his crucifixion revealed how truly ugly sin was. Think about this. It was sin that plowed his back with those lashes. It was sin that crowned his head with thorns. It was his sin that hung him on a cross. It was sin that broke his body and his heart. And, and it was sin that wrung from his lips the cry upon the cross. You see, when Jesus came, he revealed some things to us that we are desperate sinners in need of a wonderful Savior. And so the Lord Jesus, he spoke more uh, in his time here, especially in the book of Matthew, we see that he spoke more about hell than he ever did about heaven. Matthew, uh, Matthew's gospel, for example, uh, if you were to take and, and, and see all of his public utterances, and for every verse in which he mentions the blessings and, uh, of God and the abode uh, of heaven, we see that there are three verses in which he references hell. And so Christ was very uh, honest about what was coming, and he wanted to make sure we knew what was, what was going to happen next. And, and so as a faithful witness, he brought the news of salvation, he imparted the news to good and bad alike. We think about the woman at the well. He spoke to this, this uh, woman at the well as well as to Nicodemus, who was the religious elite in John 3. We also see that he went to the rich young ruler with his claim that he kept the law his whole life. And then he also went to Zacchaeus, who was a treacherous man who had unscrupulous behavior. Christ was a faithful witness. Everywhere he went, we see that Christ was faithful. And so he, he was one of those that was, was foretelling what would happen. But we also see that he had a priestly ministry. I, I love, uh, matter of fact, look with me in Hebrews. It's not going to be on the screen, so you just got to go back in your Bible. Hebrews uh, chapter 4 with me. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a high, great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see, we have a great high priest in Jesus Christ. 
Matter of fact, as a result of that, we see in verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And he admonishes us, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, when Christ was here, He paved the way for us to be able to have access into the very throne room of the Father. I am thankful that for this privilege because, listen, I'm not special. But I serve a wonderful God, full of grace and mercy, and He offers us the privilege of being able to enter into the throne room of the Father. He was the offerer of a perfect sacrifice. His blood was, was what was needed to satisfy the demands of my sin and yours as well. And we see that He was the intercessor for our souls as well. We see this in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. But listen, but he was the, uh, we see that He is the one that rose from the dead. He overcame the grave. In 1 Corinthians 15, we're reminded that thanks be to Christ, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have victory through Him today because of His wonderful priestly ministry. But we also see, thirdly, he had a prospective ministry. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, we see ultimately he will be the ruler of heaven and earth, in which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What a glorious reminder that our God is still God. What a glorious reminder that we have a, a great prospective future uh, with Jesus Christ. And His ministry is not over. It has not ceased at Calvary. It continues today. And we look forward to that coming ministry where He, he will be revealed to all of the world, even those that hung Him on the cross as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Listen, so this gives us a threefold reason for praising. In, verse number, uh, in chapter 5, in verse, uh, the last part of that, it says, Grace be, uh, excuse me, verse 5, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I want to remind you that he loves you. There's nothing greater than to be reminded of God's love. John 3.16 is just still so rings uh, true in our hearts. For God so loved the world. You know this. Read it with me. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's a personal love that God offers to you and to me. It's a love that says, listen, I know what you are, I know what you were, but I know that I love you even more. And Jesus stretched out his arms on, the, on Calvary and he died for you. He paid that price because he loves you personally. Listen, I don't know your past. I don't know what your mom and dad were like. I don't know any of those details about your past, but God does. And this is what he says, regardless of all the things that you've experienced, you can know what it is to have a perfect love in Jesus Christ. But we also see in Jeremiah 31 and verse number 3, it's an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31, 3, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. What a wonderful blessing to know that his love isn't going to end suddenly, but it, it, it endures for all time. I'm so grateful that he didn't tomorrow wake up and say, well, you know, John, I loved you yesterday, but, you know, I've changed my mind today. He is a faithful, loving God. His love endures through the ages. But we also were reminded, not only does he love us, but he loosed us. In this second part of this uh, portion here, he says, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Aren't you thankful that you've been washed 
In 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with uh, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. He washes us. He washes away those sin stains. And he says in Isaiah, though my sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Amen. And although I, I've been blotted by the stains of this world, I've been made new in Jesus Christ. And Romans chapter 6 and verses 6 and 7, he says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve, uh, serve sin. You know what he says? He says, listen, you've been washed and now you've been loosed from the chains of sin. You're no longer bound to continue in that same pathway, in that same uh, problem, in that under that same affliction because you have been loosed through the power of Jesus Christ. And he says that he frees us from sin's claims. Listen, Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. He says, listen, you owe me, you, you uh, because of uh, sin and all that you've, uh, you've committed there, you are worthy of death. But we've been loose from that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So He loves us. He looses us. But He lifts us. Verse number 6 in our text tonight. And hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 2 Timothy 2, 12 says, If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also will deny us. Let me just remind you that, that God says, Listen, I brought you from the gutter. I brought, lifted you up out of that, that terrible place of wickedness and sin. I brought you from this place, and I've given you uh, something that is far beyond anything else. When we were in our youth group and we were serving uh, our students here at the church, uh, for many years, the ladies would often have a, was it princess party or uh, child? What would y'all call that? Linda? What would y'all call that? Something like that. Anyways, they'd have some sort of a princess party with the girls. I was never invited Imagine that. I know it's hard to imagine. And they would, they would get them all dolled up and they would remind them, listen, you are a child of the king. You don't have to serve the king of the gutter anymore. What a wonderful blessing to know that God's brought us from rags and brought us to riches. He who, was, who had all the riches of heaven came to this earth and was made poor so that we who were poor might be made rich. Amen. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness by the blood of Jesus. Listen, you don't have to come through me to hear, get your prayers heard. We believe in the priesthood of the believer. Because of Jesus Christ, I have direct access to my Father. There's nothing, nothing nobody can, can say or do that can ever take that away. Man, when my heart's overwhelmed, I get to go to my daddy. And I say, Abba, please help me. When my heart is joyful, I get to praise Him. I don't have to go through any other man. I get to go directly to Him. And let me just encourage you tonight. Man, spend time with Him. God says, He invites you and says, let us come into His throne room of grace to find grace and help and mercy in our time of need. Don't, don't say, well, I'll put off to tomorrow. Let's make sure that we do it today. But let's just, just and by way of, of conclusion here, we see also not only the person, but also His plan in verses 7 and 8. He said, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Amen. Isn't that glorious? Let me just read that again. Maybe we can get an amen in there. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That's our God tonight. 
There could be no doubt about the outcome. There's, there's, as a matter of fact, there's two things about the triumph and the eventual triumph of Christ I want to finish with tonight. First off, we see that it will be visible. People are going to see it. Matter of fact, he talks about clouds here. It's interesting. Uh, if you study clouds in Scripture, we see that clouds are the clothing of his glory. He was When God summoned Israel out of Egypt, we see that uh, he was draped with a cloud as he led them. We see that even as he was uh, pitched to the tabernacle in the wilderness, God enthroned himself there, and he draped himself with a cloud upon the mercy seat. When our God, uh, Lord stepped out from Olivet's brow to climb the sky to glory, we see that he flung around his arm, his shoulders, the clouds, once again, the robes of clouds. And when he comes back to do battle with the beast and to claim uh, this, this world once again, he will once again be draped with clouds. I tell you, what a glorious thing to see that he will be coming and his coming will be visible. But it also, listen church, it will be victorious. He's not coming as a lamb the next time. He's coming as a lion. A lion who will come and he will reign forever. And what a glorious thing that we will see. What a thing that uh, when, when he comes, there's a couple of things that will happen when he comes a second time. And his second coming is not to be confused with the rapture. The rapture will happen first. And after, uh, the, uh, after the tribulation period, then will be his second coming. And as he comes in the second com coming, we will see the battle of Armageddon. This, all the armies of the world with, were goaded on by the beast will, uh, will gather themselves together and they will uh, try to march against him and when they will see him, they will fall down as dead men. They will fling their weapons to the side, they will weep, they will wail and ultimately they will die. And even Israel will see him coming, victorious and triumphant. His triumph will be complete. His triumph will be everlasting, never again. Will he be subservient? When Hitler was here, he vowed that his infamous Third Reich would last for a thousand years. It was started January 30th, 1933, and it lasted for 148 months. That's it. Listen, when Jesus comes, it will be a thousand year reign on this earth. And he sets up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years. And then when that golden millennium has run its course, we see that uh, that, that kingdom will uh, be dissolved, not by decline, not by decay, not by surrender to the force of superior arms, because he, but because he wills it to be so. And he'll set up an everlasting kingdom that will never pass away. And it's built upon three things. I want to leave you with these three things about Christ and his character here tonight. First off, remember, he is omniscient. He said this, I am Alpha and Omega. These are the first and last letters in the Greek alphabet. It'd be like saying, I am A and Z. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is God's alphabet. The alphabet is an ingenious way of storing, think about this, we store all of our data, all of our wisdom in the human race with our alphabet. Our literature is composed of various letters of the alphabet and arranged in a variety of ways uh, so that we can be able to recall that wisdom that we have gained over the years. Well, Jesus is the Alpha, the Omega, the first letter and the last letter, the first and final source of all knowledge. He is the first and final source of all understanding. He's the first and final source of all wisdom, and His decrees will be based on, upon His omniscience. He cannot be deceived. He cannot be disputed. He cannot be discredited. He cannot even be uh, disconcerted. He, uh, as a matter of fact, we're so thankful that when he comes again uh, to, to reign the second time, he, uh, to reign, his, his dictates will be perfect. He, uh, they will be full, inexhaustible, wise, and they will be based upon his infallible knowledge of all, that he, of, of all wisdom. 
He is omniscient. We also see He's omnipresent. Notice that He says, I am the beginning and the ending. His omnipresence is stated in terms of time, but that is also true in terms of space. Think about some other places in Scripture where He refers to this. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20 says, Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I was thinking this morning uh, about the brethren in Sri Lanka as Brother Jim Davis had requested prayer for these brethren who uh, are going through a great time of turmoil in their country and the brethren cannot meet together. Uh, But what about churches in other places? I think about Kenya, Africa, uh, or Russia, or other places where churches are still meeting all around the world. Sometimes just across the street churches are meeting. And as they meet together, I'm reminded that Jesus promised that he would be in the midst of every one of these places. How, How can he do that except for he is God and he is omnipresent? The Lord is present in the midst of our company tonight. Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 20, it says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. As we go and share the gospel, he promises his presence with us. When David Livingstone was a missionary, uh, he was, and, and he would face many crises, but as he did so, he kept journals. And as he did so, he would oftentimes in his journal write Matthew 28 and verse number 20, Lo, I am with you always. And then at the end, he would add this. It is the word of a gentleman of the strictest and most sacred honor. And that's an end of it. He said, you know what? I can trust God's word. I can trust what Jesus said. And though I may be going through a time of trial or crisis, I'm just going to trust him because he goes with me through it. And finally, we see his omnipotent. He says, I am the Lord which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. I praise God that tonight we still serve the Almighty God. Christ is God. In every sense of the word, he is the almighty one. And this expression uh, only occurs ten times in the New Testament. Nine of them are in Revelation. And the first time this title occurs in the Bible, though, is in 1 Samuel uh, 1, 3, and 4. But we see here that though Israel has fallen, though that many nations will fail uh, and follow after the foolishness of the beast, we're reminded that Christ has never failed. God has not fallen. He's not succumbed to this evil man's uh, uh, devices. And Jesus is coming again. And he says in Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. He won't be brought under uh, subjection to any. He is the Lord. Tonight we see the Christ that John knew. We see him in all of his glory just here revealed at the beginning. And it's so important and is vital for us that we know this Christ. How vital it is to know to that we can walk with Christ. How vital it is that we know his character, we know his person. And before we enter into any kind of future prophecy, or before we ever even enter into the present age of everything that's going on around us, it is vital that we see that we serve a risen Savior. And so like Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, uh, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm telling you tonight, we need to look unto Jesus, find hope in Jesus, find that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's still the Lord of Lords. And when we see uh, we see him, we see there is still hope for this age. There's still hope for the next age. And tonight, let us come to the altar and say, God, I still believe. I still trust you. God, I still know that you're God. And I'm not going to be discouraged in the midst of what I'm going through.